Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that a sports injury after the age of 50 is basically falling asleep in the wrong position while watching a football game. It's Dale. Or anything else. You just wake up in the middle of the night, you got a big old cramp, you get up and your knees blow it out and you don't know why. Man, <laughs> it sucks to get old, doesn't it? It does. Man. I guess it's better than dead, but. <laughs> yeah, wake up hurting. Yeah, all the time. You have to sleep with the arm in a certain position so you can have use of it the next day. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> yes, man. What's going on today, dude? Oh, man, same old, same old. Same old, same old. Maybe, kind of, sort of. Back in the crack house doing an episode. Doing it up, man. Doing it up right. We're ready. You got any good shout-outs or anybody you want to talk about before we yeah. get there? Oh, man, I love that clap. How about that? Man. That's the only clap you've had you liked, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's a whole different episode. <laughs> I apologize for my... Under the under the weatherness sounding, but I hope we can get through this. But Dale's on the upswing. He's uh, getting better. I am getting better. I feel I feel good. I just don't sound as as sweet. How about that? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> back to our, uh, our the clap. We have a brand new Apple Podcast five star, five star, five star. review, and this comes from our friend Christy Best Bernier Bernier Christy Best Bernier. Hope that's correct. I'm sorry if I if I butchered that. Sounds it, the best to me. Anyway, he goes, amazing, my absolute favorite podcast. I love the way you tell your stories, and there's no ads. I listen all day at work, and and my husband and I listen to it at home. So, man, they're just getting a big old heap of helping. Man. <laughs> Listen to Crack House Chronicles. That is awesome. Yeah, so Christy, we, Christy Best Burner, we really appreciate you taking the time to go in there and give us a five-star word. Thanks so much. Tell us your family and your friends and anybody else you know who listen to, to to jump on board. And thanks so much for doing that. And uh, it really helps out more than you guys know. Yeah, so anybody else wants to be like Chrissy Best Burner, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rate and review. Man, we'll give you a big old shout-out. Yes, sir. Leave yeah. something there in the, in the comment box. That way it will alert us, and uh, we'll know who, who done it. That's right. And we'll get you done. And if anybody wants to go on our social medias, we do have a Facebook. We have a regular Facebook, and then we have a Fans of Crack House Chronicles Facebook page. So we yeah. have two, and we have an Instagram. We have some other stuff, Twitter, X, or whatever you want to call it now. And you can follow us on those and keep up with us. Yeah. Good stuff on there, man. It really is. We try to keep it going on there. It's a little full-time job doing this and all our other work and all that mess. But as far as uh, researching and keeping up and letting you guys know what's coming on, and we just get on there and interact with you guys and have a good time. That's right. And we post photographs of uh, each episode and mm-hmm. the people involved, the criminals, the people, people. places. Yeah. Yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah. Let you know what's going on. Right then. All right. Other than that, dude. We're going to get going in this episode because, you know, this case we're doing today, you and I have talked about it. We've thrown it around a little bit, and it's been on our list for a while to do. A long time, yes. Yes. Probably uh, since the early days. Because uh, where this uh, is taking place, your wife is from that area. Yeah, just about an hour out, out of there, so uh, not far at all. She's from uh, up and around uh, Oshkosh, and this, this goes down in Plainfield. Wisconsin. In Wisconsin. And you made it perfectly clear, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Yeah, that is our goal, to do it right. Yeah. So this is our episode for this week. Okay. We're talking about Ed Gein. The one and only. Man, the butcher of Plainfield, the Plainfield ghoul. Whatever you want to call him. Man, bad dude, but we're going to talk about him and all his things he got into. And, and the reason of, how he got there. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. But just a little bit of background on Ed Gein. He was born Edward Theodore Gein in La Crosse, Wisconsin, on August the 27th of 1906. Mm-hmm. He was the second 
child born to George Philip Gein and Augusta Wilhelmine Gein. That's a name right there now. Yeah, that's a heck of a name. Wilhelmine. Yeah, I guess that's how you say it. Works for me. Yeah, just a little bit of background on Ed's parents. His father, George, he was orphaned pretty early, man. Yeah, very early. I think he was like three, if I'm not correct. Yeah, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> but uh, I think his family they were in a flood and died in Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, pretty much all of them drowned. I think I don't know how he got out of that. I don't know if he wasn't with them or what. I don't know. I don't. It's it's kind of hard to find any major details of what went on. But you know, it's a long time ago. So. I don't know if this affected his life or not. Later on, it probably did. Probably did because you know he was orphaned and then later he would become an alcoholic by the time he was fifteen. So I'm sure it didn't help. Yeah, put it that way. But uh, he ended up marrying Augusta in 1900. Now, Ed's mom, Augusta, she was from a pretty religious Lutheran family. That puts it mildly. Yeah. Very abusive and strongly over-the-top religious. And it's not reported how her and George met, but they were married in 1900. And he was a few years older than her. I think he was about 24 and she was 19 Hmm. at the time. Yeah. So they got married and they had their first son, Henry. He was born on January the 17th of 1902. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Ed was born on August the 27th of 1906. From the very start of their marriage, Augusta wasn't happy with George. Oh, no. Mm-mm. She despised him. Well, she realized, I think, very, very early in the marriage that she had made a major mistake. Yeah. He but, was an abusive alcoholic. He didn't work very much. He a side job here and there as a carpenter or a, a tanner like a like a animal skin or deer hide or whatever hide tanner and a farmer and you know maybe a, i think it was even a insurance salesman at one time but yeah he didn't do too well as keeping a job just, no no he didn't yeah but augusta was very strict right. and her two boys she raised them pretty religiously she would preach to them every day from the bible from yeah. a very early age yeah the old testament and fire and brimstone man yeah yeah if you done anything bad you were going to hell that yes. was her thing. And it was even worse than anything bad. You know, she was even preaching on them about, you know, uh, promiscuous and staying away from women and women were this and they were bad. And it was it was just over the top. The evil of drinking, everything, yeah, man. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though she supported the family, mainly, you know, from her grocery business, you know, she pretty much kept everything going. But, yeah, she was a... She was pretty hard on him. Yeah, because uh, the father, George, did own a grocery store. But I think he owned this grocery store just so he could buy his alcohol and beer right, maybe. Yeah. to be an alcoholic. But and she felt he was pretty much worthless. And then she even gave him no part in all at raising these two boys. No. She'd uh-uh. done it all herself in the way she wanted it. I mean, she hated him so much that she prayed for him to die. In front of the boys. Yes. She'd get on her hands and knees and pray for God to take him. Man. And that's a little much to me. Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a way to live, man. Yeah. But they had this grocery store there in La Crosse at the time, but they ended up selling it. Mm-hmm. And they sold this grocery store, and then they moved to a 155-acre farm. This is in the town of Plainfield, Wisconsin. Yeah, which had a population of like close to 700, I think. Yeah. But this farm was in isolation, and that's yeah. where she wanted to be to raise her sons. Right. Uh, from outsiders that could influence her boys right and the numbers kind of vary on this farm we've heard 155 195 acres all the way up to 275 acres so we're not sure but we're going with the 155 yeah and it it could possibly they may have bought some extra tracks 
here and there or something. Could have. I mean, it's very possible. But, yeah, we don't know. But it was 155 acres at the time. It's just odd that you see those three numbers in lots of different places. Yeah. But it was reported that the boys only left home to attend school. Mm-hmm. And then come back home and they were to do chores and work on the farm. Yeah, it's pretty wild that they bought this big place with that money. You know, it was only like $4,000 to buy all that acreage that's crazy isn't it yeah today that's around 40 40,000 41,000 which still seems cheap to me for that much acreage i know but like like we talked about off the air you know it's it's cold up there it's cold yeah yeah i think i even commented thir- it's cold 13 months out of the year <laughs> yeah it's not it's not quite that bad <laughs> and it's nice up there I, I love it up there of course i'd like living here a lot better yeah yeah at least we have a summertime <laughs> and they do but it's short but what was bad though their mom would punish them whenever they tried to make friends. Yeah. I mean, can you even imagine? No, trying definitely to, not. Trying to make a friend and you get punished for it. Get punished for it. Yep. Slammed and then preached to. Yeah. And beaten and stuff. I yeah. mean, it was just, yeah, everything. It was just awful. Yeah. But it was reported that Ed Gein did fairly well in school, especially in reading. He, Very he loved, reading, loved yeah. to read. That's what was crazy. So he's a pretty smart fella. Even yeah. though he's taking all this abuse. But kids would make fun of him. He had a like a droopy eye. Mm-hmm. I think he had a growth on his eye that caused the eye to... On his eyelid, I think. Yeah. yeah, caused it to push down and make him appear that he had a, a, like la- a right, right, right. lazy eye. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I didn't step on you there. That's all right. Keep me straight. <laughs> and he had a, a lesion on his tongue that caused him to have a little bit of a speech impediment. Like a lisp or something? Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, so kids made fun of him because he wasn't social and he... I guess all these little ailments made him kind of shy. Yeah, made him an easy target, really, think about it. Oh, I bet so. Especially back in those days. Yeah, kids laughing at him and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was reported that Ed, from his classmates and teachers, that he had some strange mannerisms. He would just seemingly have random laughter, as if he was laughing at his own personal jokes, and which was weird. Well, if you think about it, I mean, she's not letting him have any friends. He can't be around anybody else, so I'm sure there's lots of conversations going on in his head. Yeah, very true. But Ed and Henry, you know, they were going to this school, this Rosha A. Cree grade school. Sure, it's easy to say. Yeah, it's a kind of a weird name, but the it was a tiny one-room school with 12 students. 12? Yeah. Mm, packed out. Yeah, I guess they had all grades in there. I reckon. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is 1914. Yes. Yeah. But there was one time when Ed was about 12 years old his mom caught him masturbating in the tub yeah yeah not good Nuh-uh. and she grabbed him by his genitals and called them the curse of man yeah that's not good and then uh, like you said there's, there's lots of different discrepancies going on here is that one thing said that actually she went and poured hot water over him and his genitals and then beat him with a belt while he was in the tub telling him you know that's just not what he needs to be doing can you even imagine dude not at all Mm-mm. Bad enough getting caught. <laughs> Much less than get poured hot water and beat beat around the head with a belt while you're in the tub. Yeah. But when Ed was 14 years old, he graduated eighth grade and then dropped out of school. Mm. Graduated. Graduated, but then, but he continued to be an avid reader. He loved to read. Mm-hmm. Yep. Her mom, Augusta, made both the boys promise that they would remain virgins. Yeah. Yeah, she said, that, you know, the only reason they need to be doing any of that was for to make some children procreation. Crazy, man. That's it. 
But now on April the 1st of 1940, Ed's father, George, passed away from heart failure. Yep. But at the time before that, he became a like a helpless invalid and was completely dependent on his family to take care of him. Well, you know, he wasn't, and he wasn't helping them much, and he drank away most of their earnings. And I think he had had like uh, some pneumonia, some type of fluid build up in the lungs and heart, probably like congestive heart failure. Probably. Could have been, yeah, yeah, at the time, something like that. And it was reported that at around this time, Ed's brother Henry was dating a divorced woman that had a couple kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was a couple of years, I think, after Dad passed away. Yeah, it was. But you know, just to keep time straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was dating her, and he was he was ready to go off and do some stuff his mom didn't want him to do. <laughs> so, yeah, he he had uh, actually told Ed that he wanted to to move out, and Ed flipping out was like, "Well, what what what, what are we gonna do about Mama?" Well, can't leave Mama, right? And he's like, "Well," and then I think basically he just told him, you know. Mama's overbearing and just kind of putting her down and said, look, I think everybody can see it but you, and Ed, Ed's not happy with that. No, uh-uh. No, but Henry, he was going to move out. Yeah. He didn't want nothing to do with Mama at all. No, he was done with all that. Yeah. But, you know, he was older, and he'd been seeing it for a while. Mm-hmm. But Ed, you know, he was doing odd jobs around. He was a babysitter at one time. He yeah. loved he loved kids, loved taking care of kids, and he could relate to them pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were, him and his brother were, during their time growing up, they were considered trustworthy and reliable by all the people around town and stuff. Well, I'm sure they was both straight-air kids. I yeah. Mean, you, they wasn't definitely asking for no trouble, especially from home. He was getting enough as it was over doing nothing. Yeah. But even in 1942, when Ed was 36 years old, he was still eligible for the draft. Wow. Yeah, ain't that crazy? It is. Yeah. And he would travel to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for a physical exam. Hmm. Yeah. But he was rejected by the military because of the, the growth on his eye, eyelid. Yeah, because yeah, I guess it impaired his vision. I it guess. could have, yeah. Hmm. And at the time, well, even through his whole life, this would have been the farthest that Ed would be traveling from home. Wow. Yeah, I think it was like 100 miles, 130 miles that he would ever leave from home. Yeah, it's not far at all. No, so he, he got to see most of the world at 130 miles away. Yeah. That's what's crazy, man. Very much so. Yeah. So on May the 16th of 1944, Ed was burning some uh, vegetation around the property. I guess burning some brush or whatever around the property they had there yeah. in Plainfield. And the fire got out of control, and it drawed the attention of the local fire department. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, you know, they worked on this fire, and the fire had been extinguished by the firefighters. But Ed had reported his brother Henry missing. Yeah, couldn't find him. No, nowhere. (laughs) And they were out there with lanterns and flashlights and a search party looking for his 43-year-old brother Henry. Mm -hmm. But Henry was found. They found him dead. And he wasn't anywhere near where the fire was. Right. No. It's kind of weird. Very yeah. weird. Yeah. Ed just like, oh, he's over here. Just yeah. point first, him out. Yeah, I think Ed was first like, we have no idea where he is, except he's right over here. Yeah, that's what's weird. <laughs> Very weird. Yeah. I think uh, Ed got tired of hearing him talk about Mama. Yeah, I think he might have took his brother out. Yeah, he might have killed his brother. We don't know. He never admitted killing his brother, but it kind of looks like that to us. In the way I look at it, probably something happened, and then maybe the fire was set to kind of cover it up a little bit. 
Could have been because Henry's body was found lying face down, and apparently he had been dead for some time. Right. And it appeared that the cause of death was heart failure since he had not been burned or injured. But it was later reported by a biographer, uh, a guy by the name of Harold Schechter, that Henry had bruises on his head. And police dismissed the possibility of foul play, and the county coroner later officially listed as asphyxiation as the cause of death. Yeah. And the authorities accepted the accident theory, but no official investigation was conducted, and there was never an autopsy performed. Well, you know, a lot of that had to do with the nobody even believed that Ed was capable of killing anybody just because of his demeanor. I mean, yeah. he was just a small fellow. He was like five foot eight, like 140 pounds. I mean, he's just a little guy, you know. So they never thought that he would take his big brother out. This wouldn't make sense to him. I know. But this uh, really bothered Augusta. Oh, Mom, yeah. yeah, she she took it hard. Yeah, very hard. She became faint and sickly, and not long after Henry's death, had to be hospitalized. Yeah, she had a, a massive stroke. She did. It was actually a paralyzing stroke. Mm-hmm. And Ed devoted most of his time, or actually all of his time, taking care of his mom, which he loved. He did. He loved her to death. I mean, he, like I said, he idolized her. Yeah, he worshipped this woman. And sometime in 1945. Uh, he later recounted that he and his mother, they had visited a man by the name of Smith. I guess Smith was their last name. Yeah, that's and, what I'm assuming. Yeah, and they lived nearby, and they were going to purchase some straw or hay to feed some animals. Right. And according to Ed, his mom Augusta witnessed this man Smith beating a dog. I mean, he was just beating the tar out of him. Yeah, beating the dog to death. And a woman inside the Smith resident came out. And was yelling at him to stop beating the dog. Which he didn't. No. He ended up killing the dog. Beat the dog to death. And Augusta, she was... Very... She was uh, extremely upset. She was. But what... But not what you think for. No, not for beating the dog. No. She was upset because this man and woman were living together unmarried. Right. Yes. And saying that... uh, she had no business being there. Right. Call him that old Smith's harlot over there. Man. So her head's all scrambled up. Yeah, man. she had this. She was so devout that she just couldn't see. No sin. <laughs> right. No yeah. sin at all. And it wasn't shortly after that that uh, she had a second stroke. Oh, no wonder. She keeps herself so riled up, man. Yeah. And her health went downhill pretty quick. Pretty quick, yeah. She was 67 at this point. Yeah, and she died at the age of 67 mm. on... December the 29th of 1945. The same year, yeah. And let me tell you, this just devastated Ed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was his whole world. His mama. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want nothing to happen to his mama. That was his whole world. I mean, he'd already seen his dad die. His brothers died of, well, you know, he's gone. And now his mom. So Ed's all alone on this huge farm, whether it be 275 acres or 155 acres or whatever it is. It's a, you know, big house, big two-story farmhouse and all this stuff on there, but he's all alone. His mama was his only friend. Yeah. And true love, really. Yeah. And he was all alone in the world, man. Well, she'd been into his head so bad that, you know, he couldn't have any friends. He definitely didn't have any girlfriends. You know, and she, like I said, she wished for a, for a girl when he was born. Yeah, she and, prayed for a girl. Yeah, and he even said, you know, that... He had wished his mama had made him made him a girl because he was just terrified of women. He just didn't know how to act. He just didn't know what to do now, especially if mama's gone. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It is. It's awful. Yeah. It wasn't long after his mama died 
Ed was driven by some intense loneliness and what later to be strange visions. He began to visit the cemetery where his mother was buried. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, and it's the way that he even boarded up all the rooms that she used. The so, bedrooms. So they would be stuff. almost museum type, you know, where it be preserved. Nobody else would be in there and disturb anything. Because their house was a pretty good-sized house. It was a two-story house. It was big, yeah. Big farmhouse, yeah. yeah. we'll post pictures. It was bigger than I thought it was. Oh, yeah. You know, doing all the reading. Mm-hmm. But, he but was, yeah, like you said, he started going out and, and visiting a lot in the cemetery. cemetery yeah. yeah, and after several visits, you know, he got to looking around the the cemetery there, and he got to digging up corpses. Yeah, yeah. And the first body he dug up was that of his mom. I guess he gonna bring mom home. And it was reported that he twisted her head off with his bare hands, and Ed took the head and shrunk it to similar like he had read in books. Yeah. You know, and I don't really know how that works. I know back when you used to see them all the time, they'd be tiny, so you'd assume they'd, like, take take the skull out and then shrink the head sh- down, shrink it down somehow shrink or another. Shrink the skin down, I but guess. But I, I don't know how that works. But anyway, that's kind of, he had read about this kind of stuff in books, but he was, so he had, he had uh, taken Mama's head home. Yeah. I don't know how much more of her, but at least her head. He did. <laughs> yeah. So he's, uh, his mental capacity is, is going down quick. Yeah. And Ed began making more nighttime visits to cemeteries, as many as 40 cemeteries. Yeah, Ed, a lot of them he, he would go not do anything, but, I mean, he probably was just scoping them out, I figure. But what he got to doing was reading the obituaries of women who had passed away that were similar to his mom. Right. Yeah. So he would go and then find these newly buried middle-aged women. And dig them up. Yeah, because in the obituaries, they would describe what the people looked like. If they were skinny, robust, plump, or whatever. Yeah. And if they were similar to what his mom looked like, he would go dig them up right away. Right. Yeah. You know, and he said he never had sex with any of these things, which I believe, but he he did admit to masturbating over it. Wow. So, he said a lot of times, they, you know, when they were asking about it, he didn't. He never had sex with any of the cadavers because basically, quote, they smelled too bad. Yeah. But it's still uh, categorized as necrophilia in a way. Yeah. Well, I get that, I guess. Now, in 1951, Ed visited a, a local tavern that was owned by Mary Hogan. Mm-hmm. She was a middle-aged woman that looked a lot like his mom, Augusta. Yeah, except for her demeanor and everything was totally different. He did, She did uh, have a, a pretty close resemblance. But she had a foul mouth, right, and a little bit of a trashy history. But you know, we you and I talked about this. But I guess from running a tavern, you're gonna you're gonna be like that. Yeah, be rough around the edges. You got to be a little rough around the edges. That's kind of the you know, bar talk, I guess. You'd say. And you know, uh, to deal with the the patrons, yeah, to get out of hand, I guess. Right. Yeah. And you got to have something in common with them. You're trying to sell them your product, and you're just kind of in there with them, having fun and talking it up. Mm-hmm. So Ed was starting to visit this tavern. Mm-hmm. He would go in there and drink a beer or something, hang out. Yeah, he'd probably just sit there and stare at her. He probably was, because we were getting to her just a little bit later. Yeah. But Ed was able to hold on to the farm. He earned money from jobs, odd jobs, and doing different things around. He even received a farm subsidy from the federal government starting in 1951. And, you know, he occasionally worked for local municipal road crews and other crews doing crops and things in the Plainfield area there in Wisconsin. Right. And sometime between 1946 and 1956, he sold 
an 80-acre parcel of land that his brother Henry had owned. So I wonder if this was part of the farm or if this was an additional acreage that Henry had bought. It could have been. They don't really say. Or it could have just been something maybe that um, Augusta had, you know, signed over to him. Yeah. Part part of the farm or whatever, being him getting older. You know, this could be part of the discrepancy we've read about on the size of the the part part of the farm they had. Could be, could be. Yeah. I guess you got to have some money, and I'm sure he didn't need all that land because he wasn't working it, you know, as far as, well, I'm assuming he wasn't. Yeah. So on December the 8th of 1954, the lady we talked about, Mary Hogan, that owned this tavern that Ed was transfixed on, she disappeared from her uh, tavern. This is like three years after he had first started Started hanging out out there. Yeah. Uh, The police suspected foul play, you know, because of the blood there on the floor next to an empty bullet shell case. You think? Yeah, but... (laughs) That's a heck of a hint. (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, later what what uh, had been revealed is happening, actually. Ed had came in this night and was talking to her, and she was trying to close up shop. Mm-hmm. And she actually just lived right behind the bar or the tavern or whatever, so not like she had to go far, but she was cleaning up, counting up, you know, doing everything that you do when you close down, and told him that uh, she was closing up, you know, Ed, you'll have to come back, you know, tomorrow and come to see us and hang out. But he said, okay. So when he walked over and he just pulled the blinds down shut and walked up and put a twenty two caliber pistol to her forehead and shot her yeah but keep in mind though uh the authorities and police they never knew what happened to her no he he just took her and drug her out the back door and put her from what i read put her on the back of his truck and took her home yeah so they couldn't find her they didn't they come in there's a a shell casing and a little bit of blood that's it that's all they know never knew what happened to her no no and the day after the murder while working with a guy named elmo uewick i guess that's how you say his last name yeah Probably butchered it. U E E C K. Yeah, he admitted to this Elmo guy to killing. Yeah, uh, he Mary killed him, hung her yeah. up. Yeah, but Elmo dismissed Ed's statement. You know, just thinking he was just joking around. Right, because nobody could see him doing any of this. Stuff. He didn't believe him because right. you know it was just mild mannered, quiet and shy. Right. Yeah. So I guess, and you know, here's where we're thinking. Well, he's been doing this other stuff for several years since his mom passed away. I think Digging she passed away in 47, right? And so mm-hmm. about a year and a half after that is when he started having all this, what do you say, dazed and just stuff, mental stuff started happening. And These visions. And visions and then started digging up bodies and taking parts home and all this stuff. So, you know, quite a bit of time has passed when he killed the tavern owner. So maybe the thrill of Taking parts home and and doing this is kind of you know ease off. Plus, you know, it's a lot less work to to kill somebody. I guess. Yeah. So plus, he's kind of leveling up here to to murdering. Plus, it's a more fresh body, right? Instead of fresh, digging, freshly harvested. Yeah. Instead of the even though the ones he dug up were just a day or two old, right. this one was you know. Yeah. Well, I guess some of them had to be a little bit older. Or he wouldn't have made the, the smell come out, right? True. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how long that takes, but I would say more than a day or two. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. So this will be a lot less work. Correct. Yeah, you wouldn't have to dig it up out of the ground and fill the hole back in. I'm telling you, that to me, that's I don't know, I don't want to say impressive, but man, if you ever had a pet or anything pass away and you have to dig a hole, that's not easy. No. And of course, he was digging up holes that were freshly filled back in, so it wouldn't be the dirt know, was soft. Yeah, it wasn't a packed ground, but yeah, you know, that's still a lot of work. This is true, especially for a little fella. You know, I mean, he's not driving a backhoe out there. 
I'm sure he's shovel in hand in the middle of the night, you know, with a lantern or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we're moving up to November the 16th of 1957. Right. This is uh, when 58-year-old Plainfield hardware store owner Bernice Warden, she disappeared. Well, on the 15th, she ha- actually Ed had went into the store. Yes. And uh, The day before. Right, yeah. And uh, he went in and see what was on. You know, basically, this is a little hardware store. It was basically like Lowe's now, but it's T-Tiny. You know, you just go in and get whatever you need. The local hardware store, yeah. Right. He went in and talked to her and talked to her son, and he was uh, inquiring about some prices of antifreeze. And at this point, they would take, they had like a large drum or something and would just draw out whatever you needed. So you just didn't go in and pick up a gallon jug and walk out the door. You can go in and get a half a gallon, a gallon, whatever, and they would pump it out and put it in a jar and you pay for it and leave. So he went in there and told him he was checking on that, and he would be back in the next day to pick up some. Yes. And the next day was the first day of deer season. So that's when he went back. Because there weren't many people shopping in town that day. Right. All the guys were out hunting. Everybody was hunting. So business was slow. Right. So and uh, I pretty much think that he knew that, you know, because this is kind of broad daylight, as you know. He just went, went over there. You know, she had disappeared, like you said, from the store, but what had happened is uh ed had went in to get his uh antifreeze yes and while she was uh pumping out the antifreeze well she went over and she said oh ask him what he wanted she told him so she got a receipt book out and she wrote down how much she was pumping out and who she was pumping out for and then started to, to do the chore for him and he said he's going to run out the car for a minute so he went out and he came back in and while while he was out he said he had saw some rifles in the window and he'd like to see one of them so she said sure and she got him a 22 caliber rifle out of the window and uh, gave it to him for him to check out, and then went back to uh, finishing up the chore of getting antifreeze. Well, meanwhile, now depending on how, which one story you go with, what we believe is he had either went out to the to the car to get some uh, twenty two bullets, or he had some in his pocket. Yeah. So when she handed him the rifle, she did. He just popped one in, and then shot her. Shot her in the back of the head. Shot her in the back of the head and killed her. Yeah drug her out and put him and it is either in their work truck his truck or his car and it's it's kind of sketchy of what happened there which one article you read right yeah yep. so you know whichever way it, i guess it really it doesn't matter in the, the day he he killed the lady and took her home mm-hmm. and that's when the sheriff deputy he was actually uh her son yes the Bernice same son, son that he had actually talked to the day before yeah had came back in that evening and noticed that mama wasn't at the store there was some blood there. And there was I, seen some blood, and the cash register was missing. Yes. Correct. Stole the cash register. So then he was smart enough to go over and look at the receipt book and then seen where she had wrote Ed Gein, Antifreeze, but the receipt was never torn off and given away. It was the last receipt. Last receipt of the day. So he called the sheriff and said, look, you need my mama's missing. Uh, the cash register's gone. There's blood here. Uh, and we have a receipt with Ed's name on it. I think we need to go pick him up and see what's going on. Yeah. And from what we understand is they found Ed at a grocery store in town. I think he had already taken her home and then come back into town and was shopping. Found him there, picked him up on suspicion, and then was going to go out to the house to see what, if they could find her or find yeah. out what's going on with her. So they had Ed in custody. Yes. And they was, when they went out back to Ed's property there on the farm, 150-acre farm, and this, it was late at night when they got out there. Yeah. And they were out there with flashlights and No lanterns. electricity, no, no running water in the house. Mm-mm. So it's just primitive. So they were out there looking oh, around. You know, it's dark, dark. Oh, yeah. It's pitch dark out there. Yeah. You know, 155 acres. Yeah. No street lights, of course. You know, there's nothing. <laughs> it's just dark. So they were wandering around the property, and they 
went to a, a building behind the house. It's like a summer kitchen. Yes. It's where uh, people back then used to do their canning and stuff so the house wouldn't get so hot. Right. But they were there, and they were looking around, and the sheriff, Sheriff, I forget his last name. Shaley. Yeah, Sheriff Shaley. S-C-H-L-E-Y. Yeah, he turned around and bumped into something. Right. Hanging from the rafters. And when he turned around and shined his light on it, it was a woman's body strung upside down. A headless woman's body. Yes. Strung up, died down. With a crossbar between her ankles and ropes at her wrist. Right. And this wooden beam would be one that had the big metal hooks on each end, and then each ankle would be hooked with a metal hook. Yeah, she was dressed out like a deer. Yeah, she had been split open from vagina down to sternum, all the way down. Wow, and gutted. Gutted, and uh, I guess uh, her her innards were entrailed entrailed out into a bucket or a uh, cauldron, and she had been like it rolled but peeled back a little bit where it was opened up yeah and um it was determined the mutilations were done after her death yes yeah now keep in mind this is deputy warden's mother yes the deputy is out there yeah with the sheriff his mother yes man so anyway they find this and then they i'm sure they just start flipping out i'm because can you imagine no, I mean, you're out here no in the I can't dark. imagine. You're not. You're just looking to see, you know, maybe where what happened to this lady, and you turn around and there she is hanging up, like people's got deer all over the place on this same day. So they're going through the house, man. So they start going through the house, and they're finding stuff, lots of stuff. Yeah, they find whole human bones and fragments. There was a wastebasket that was made of human skin. They had a uh, actual. Utensils, forks, knives, and stuff that had bones as handle as handles. Wow! Actual human bone. Skulls on the bedpost. Lots of skulls. They were like what twelve skulls? Yes. Some of, some of them even attached to his bedpost, like mm-hmm. you said. Yes. And there were some female skulls with the tops of the skulls uh, sewed uh, cut off. Yeah, like to make a bowl. Yeah. Yes. And it, there was even a corset that had breasts sewn onto it. That was made from a, hum- a female torso. Yeah, shoulder to waist. Yeah, it had this, like laces on it that he could put on and wear. A skin suit, dude. Yes. He even had leggings made from actual human leg skins. He had gloves made from skin off of hands. And he made masks. He would peel their face off and make masks. Yeah, complete with the hair. Like we said, I guess that's how, you know, like with the... The sunken head, you just take the whole skin off of the skull. And he would wear this stuff. Yeah. I mean, they found Mary Hogan's face, uh, her face mask, in quotes, in a paper bag. Her skull was in a box. They found Bernice Warden, this guy's mom's whole head, in a burlap sack. You imagine finding your mama's head in a burlap sack. No. Mm-mm. He found her heart in a plastic bag, just sitting in front of Gene Potbelly Stowe. And they found a shoebox. It had uh, nine vulva in it. Yeah. Some tied with ribbons and even Women, some female been, parts. Had been painted. Yeah. Yeah. Man, yeah. I can't believe, I mean, this is real, you know? Yeah. He found a belt that was actually made of human nipples. I mean, sewn together, stretched out. like Yeah. Have, like rhinestones, but you yeah. know what I mean? Or not. Yeah. Like conch. Yeah. Nipples, man. Yeah. 
He had a pair of lips that was made for a drawstring for a window shade. He had a handle. And then, a, like, a, I think it was a jar or a bag that had a bunch of noses in it. A lampshade that was made from the, the skin of a human face. Yeah. And he would put this stuff on. He would wear this human skin. The skin suit. And it was reported that some people actually thought they would see him at night wearing this stuff out in the moonlight out at night. Out, in the, out in, on the property. So it's like he was collecting all this stuff that he'd been getting from these cemeteries and these murders to recreate mama his mother yeah so he could be mama yeah he missed her so bad he wanted to be mama he wanted to be he wanted to be a girl because he didn't know how to act so he just didn't know what to do and mama's gone so now the only way he can get mama back is to become mama Mm -hmm. because i think he wanted to be a female like you said because he was reading articles and stuff from the war uh of germans doing atrocities to people over there cutting skin off making different things out of their skin yep he was and there was a they got to reading about the first female transgender person that was uh done it was done over in switzerland or something and he he wanted to be like that too it was the first uh sex change yes that's what it was they didn't call it they didn't call that it was something I forget what it was called. Yeah, sex change. Same, yeah, same thing. It wasn't called that at the time. Re uh, reassignment, sexual reassignment surgery. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a man that became a woman. Correct. And that's what he aspired to do. Well, maybe we don't know. And he he would take this this female um, organs that he would cut off and the vulva, yeah, and put it in in female underwear and wear it and put it over his organs. <laughs> yeah, and then put this whole suit on. So basically, he's woman head to toe. On the outside. That's, yeah. In his mind, anyway. Yeah. Man. So it's, I know we kind of went through that fast, but it's, it's it's really hard to digest once you think about it. It's, this dude actually made a skin suit, a woman, female skin suit to put on himself out of actual women skin. Yeah. To wear. Even had fingernails from female fingers. Shoo. But, Dale, these artifacts they found in Ed Gein's house, they were photographed and documented at the state crime laboratory, but were respectfully disposed of mm. after everything was taken care of and photographed and documented. Wow. And Ed Gein, when questioned, he told investigators that between 1947 and 1952 that he had made as many as 40 nighttime visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in a daze-like state. Right. Well, he didn't tell him nothing at first, did he? No, he didn't because he kept quiet after he was arrested. Right. And then he asked for a piece of hot apple pie with a slice of cheddar cheese on top of it. <laughs> That's what he wanted. Which is weird. Uh, that must have been a... Uh, a, a Mama Gein thing or something. Yeah, Augusta Gein recipe. Yeah, I asked my wife about this. She's like, that just sounds nasty, and I love cheese. That's definitely not a Wisconsin thing that I know of. And I love apple pie, but I ain't going to put the two together. She's like, why are you asking me that? And then I told her why. She's like, oh, I don't know about all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of kind of wild. So they... So after that, that's when he, I guess he, that opened him up, and he got comfortable and got, got to talking, what yeah. happened. Yeah. Got his belly full of apple pie and cheddar cheese. And... um there was a guy by the name of Alan Wilmovosky, 
of the state crime laboratory, they went out and tested three grave sites identified by Ed Gein. And the caskets were inside. Um, they were wooden boxes, and top boards ran crossways, not lengthwise. And the box, tops of the boxes were about two feet below the, you know, the sandy soil surface. Mm. And Gein had robbed the graves soon after the funerals while the graves were not completed. Oh, so you're saying they're only two foot deep. Yeah. Hmm. And the test graves were exhumed because authorities were uncertain as to whether, you know, the slight Gein, you know, him being small in stature. And, right. Yeah. Could single-handedly dig up these graves. Yeah, in, in one night. Yeah. But they were found as Ed Gein described. And one casket was empty. And another casket contained Ed Gein's crowbar that he'd left behind. Yeah. Mm. And the final casket saw most of the body missing. So all the times he didn't take the whole body, he would take parts, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Sometimes I guess the whole body. Mm-hmm. So I guess his confession was largely corroborated. Man, that is just crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. And there's another thing, too. There was a 16-year-old whose parents were friends of Ed Gein's. And they attended baseball games and movies with, but they reported that Ed Gein kept shrunken heads in his house. Which, right. And he described them as relics sent by a cousin who had served in the Philippines during World War II. Yeah, so basically what we're thinking is that they came in the house, and then one day they saw his skin masks, and then he just tried to blow it off by saying they were shrunken heads yeah. that he got from somebody in the war. Peeled from corpses. Right. Man. But during this questioning of Ed Gein, the sheriff, Art Shelley, reportedly assaulted Ed Gein by banging his head against a brick wall. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess he I mean, you could, how would pissed you take off. it? Yeah, yeah. That was, that was just devastating, you know, especially his, his deputy's mother, how close that hit home, you know. Mm. I mean, you're out there in the middle of the dark, and you turn around and hold your lantern up, and you see that. Yeah. Can't imagine, man. That's your, yeah, your you sh- know, and I'm sure policing back in you know fifties and back in these days is a little bit rougher than nowadays. Yeah, they they take a little bit more finesse yeah. with uh, their arrests. Take like a little that. more liberties on some stuff. Yeah, but as a result of Ed Gein's initial confession, uh, it was ruled inadmissible. Mm-hmm. But the sheriff Shelley died of heart failure. In 1968, at the age of 43. You know, it's got to be traumatizing on him. And I think that's part of this because, you know, he's, you know, he, he did what he did and then he's going to have to testify about all this stuff, especially about, you know, assaulting Ed. And then over all this, the horror of finding all this stuff. I the mean, smell. This whole house full of stuff, dude, for all these years. There's no telling how much stuff was in there that they don't even tell us. They just told us stuff that they wrote down, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure this just took this guy out. He died of heart failure at 43. Mm-hmm. Mm. And this was even before the trial started. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure they found tons of bones on the farm and all, all kinds of stuff. Even deputies found more bones buried in a trench on Ed's farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one skull had a gold tooth and was believed to be uh, the skull of a man. Hmm. Yeah, but they couldn't determine it. Or if he just dug up a wrong hole. Could have been. But in addition to the murders of uh, Hogan and Warden, Ed Gein was considered a suspect in several other unsolved cases in Wisconsin. In November of 1957, authorities confronted Ed Gein with a list of missing person cases that had occurred between the death of his mother and Warden. Right. 
and their suspicions were further aroused after the discovery of Hogan's remains. And lie detector tests seemingly exonerated Gein of any other murders. Well, you know, a lot of these that are on this list is kind of outside his M.O., you know? Yeah, because it was a, a eight-year-old girl, Georgia Jean Weckler. She disappeared from her farm in Fort Atkinson. She was looking in the mailbox, and uh, she just disappeared. But there was reportedly a, a, a witnesses seeing a dark-colored, possibly black, 1936 Ford sedan with a gray plastic spotlight in the vicinity. Uh, but Gein did own a black 1937 Ford. Yeah, so it's similar. Very similar, yeah. But, you know, you know, most of the stuff he was doing was just violence and, or, you know, desecration of stuff for women who really resembled his mother. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, you know, he was a babysitter and he was good with kids. I just don't see him killing an eight-year-old girl for no reason. No. It, that just doesn't fit. Now, he, he had done it, I don't know, but it doesn't it didn't fit the way I'm looking Somebody at it. Somebody wanting to be mama. Right. A mama yeah. figure, yeah. Yeah. There was a 15-year-old, Evelyn Grace Huntley, that went missing while babysitting a 20-month-old girl in La Crosse State College. See, that's in La Crosse, you know? Yeah. And then there was others. There was a, a guy who was 41, Victor Travis. He was a resident of Adams County, went off to deer hunt, and he disappeared. And the hunters never found him. Right. In addition, uh, Gein had been tentatively linked to the June 1954 disappearance of a, a neighbor, James Walsh, who was 32. Now, you and I talked about this, too, and this neighbor might have known something. Yes. You know, and uh, saw something there strange. Yeah, him, on him and his wife, they lived right next to, to Ed, or fairly close. And they could have seen something around the property and, you know, maybe knew something Ed was doing strange. Right. You and, know, and, and it's kind of like a... He might have done it for survival at this point. You yeah. Know, just, and so that that wouldn't be the only one that I would think would possibly could have, he could have done. But the rest of them were supporting his uh, MO. just doesn't fit. No. Mm-hmm. You know, I ain't saying he didn't do it because, you know, well, I don't know the fellow. But it just doesn't fit the, the story to me. No. So on November the 21st of 1957, Ed Geem was arraigned on one count of first-degree murder in Washura county court where he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent for trial Mm. and he was sent he was sent to central state hospital for the criminally insane which is now the dodge correctional institute it was a maximum security facility in wapon yeah i've been there and later transferred to mendota state hospital in madison well if there's anybody who uh gonna plead Insanity. This is probably a good one. This is a textbook insanity. Yeah, because man, his whole life, and I don't, you know, we're not really trying to take up for the dude, but he's he's been brainwashed. Excuse me. Yeah, he's been brainwashed and beat and told how to think his whole life. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's by himself and don't know what to do. Crazy. In 1968, doctors determined Ed Gein was mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense for trial. And the trial began on November 7th of 1968. And now, this is, what, 11 years later? Yeah, 11 okay. years. And it lasted for a week. And psychiatrists testified that Ed Gein had told him that he did not know whether the killing of Warden was intentional or accidental. Uh, Gein told him that while he examined a gun in the store, the hardware store there, the weapon discharged and killed her. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that. He said uh, he had not aimed the rifle at her, 
and did not remember anything else that happened that morning. You might not remember, but I'm pretty sure he killed him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he took the body. I mean, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. first day of deer hunting. You know, and it's kind of funny that we mentioned the deer hunting thing because the reason he didn't ever deer hunt, he did, he fished and shoot, you know, a small game hunt. But deer, he said he just couldn't do it because he couldn't kill them. Yeah. Couldn't kill a deer, but he killed kill a human. Yeah. Take, his, take her home and strain her up like a deer. So at the request of the defense, uh, Ed Gein's trial was held without a jury with Judge Robert H. Gomar presiding. And Ed Gein was found guilty by Judge Gomar on November 14th. And a second trial dealt with Ed Gein's sanity after testimonies by doctors for the prosecution and defense. The judge ruled Gein not guilty by reason of insanity and ordered him committed to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. And Ed Gein, Ed Gein spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital. Yeah, so basically he, they sent him to the mental hospital for reasons of insanity. And then 11 years later, they say he's able to go to trial. And they go to trial and they send him right back where he was. Yeah, but Ed Gein was a model prisoner, they said. That he was very easy going. Good old Ed. But now the fate of Ed Gein's property, the house, which, you know, we've talked about the acreage. Mm -hmm. The property was appraised at $4,700, which is about $4,800 in 2022. Mm -hmm. $48,000. I mean, yeah, $48,000. Thank you for keeping me straight. Yeah. And his possessions were scheduled to be auctioned on March the 30th of 1958. And a lot of stuff was sold. But, you know, the thing about this, they were going to sell the house and, you know, all that one thing, you know, separate. And a lot of the the neighbors and stuff just thought this is going to become a tourist attraction and get us known for all the wrong reasons. They wasn't having it. They didn't want no part of that. Mm-mm. So on early morning of March 20th, the house was destroyed by a fire. The deputy fire marshal reported that a garbage fire had been set 75 feet from the house by a cleaning crew who was given the task of disposing the refuse. Yeah, because, you know, that house, they said it was just slam-packed full of stuff. Yeah. It was just all, I guess, like a hoarder house, I guess, plus trash and everything else because he wasn't keeping nothing up. Yeah. Except for skin suit. But arson was suspected, but the cause of the fire was never officially determined. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that— uh, They got rid of it, yeah. 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 So, by this time, the deputy, who was the deputy police chief there— Frank Warden, he became the fire chief, right. the son of Bernice Warden. Frank, yeah. Yeah. They couldn't determine if it was arson or not. Yeah. They didn't know. That's right. And when, when Ed found out what happened, he just kind of shrugged it off and said, well, it's just as well. <laughs> Man. You know, and then they sold off his car. The Ford sedan. Yeah. You know, and they also had a farm truck, which I was assumed that that was what he's using to haul bodies, but depending on what you read, I guess, um, this Ford sedan that they say was used to haul bodies. I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe depending on if he was hauling a body or an arm, who knows. One of the parts. Yeah. Was sold, you know, for 760 bucks, which would be about $7,700 today. Mm-hmm. And it was sold to a carnal sideshow operator named Bunny Gibbons. And uh, Bunny used to uh, set this thing up at fairs and stuff and charge 25 cents to see the car. Yeah. And said one of the first ones he did, it was over 2,000 people paid 25 sure. cents to see this car. And he did that for a while, and then finally, uh, some of the places you go just told him that they didn't want that to be part of their exhibit, and they wouldn't allow him to have it in anymore. Yeah. So after Ed was found guilty of first-degree murder, 
He filed a petition with the Washara County Clerk of Courts claiming that he had now recovered from his mental health and was fully competent and there was no reason why he should remain in any hospital. There was a judge that reviewed Ed's petition and ordered a re-examination and the judge rejected his petition and he was to remain at the mental hospital. And that was it. He never tried again. No, he didn't. Like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. Probably better. I'm pretty sure if they had let him out. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't have lasted long. No. But, you know, or they, would they, if they let him out, would he have to go to prison after that? I don't probably, know. Probably, yeah. You'd think so. He'd have it better at the hospital, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he said he, they treated him real good there. Yeah. He had hobbies. He even They said he even liked to sew. I bet he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a lot of practice on it. He did. But... Ed ended up dying at the Mendota Mental Health Institute due to some respiratory failure and secondary to lung cancer mm. on July the 26th of 1984. 1984. That ain't, you know, to me and you, that ain't long ago. No, it ain't. He was 77 years old. Stuff like this, you just don't think it would still be around in the 80s. You know? But over the years, souvenir seekers, they chip pieces of the gravestone at the Plainfield Cemetery until the stone itself was stolen in the year 2000. Hmm. And a year later, in 2001, the stone was recovered near Seattle, Washington. And the guy that had it was doing rubbings of the stone and selling them, I think for 50 bucks a piece. Wow. And when they confronted him about the stone, he said it was a replica, but it was it was the real deal. Wow. But the stone was taken and put into storage at the Washera County Sheriff's Department pretty wild it gets all the way to seattle right but great uh ed's grave is able to find it's easy to find because he's buried beside his mama there in plainfield cemetery yeah between his mama and his brother yes mm-hmm. but you know dale we've talked about this and ed gein's story man it's it's had a big effect on american pop culture throughout the years oh definitely man the the things the tv and the movies and the music the stuff that would not exist had this horrific story not ever happened. Yeah, there was a guy, Robert Block. He lived about 40 miles from there. He's the author of the novel Psycho, which Alfred Hitchcock turned into a movie. Right, he, he made famous. He lived near there, so he had firsthand you know, knowledge of things going on. Well, you know that you know, Des Gein and um, Norman Bates pretty darn close paralleled i mean his story as, well the mama thing anyway. yeah very yeah. i mean i don't think he's he wasn't digging nobody up but <laughs> dressing up like mama but he was definitely dressing up like mama very much so yeah yeah he had the, the mama issues yeah a lot of different things um yeah silence of the lambs yep. yeah yeah uh, silence of the lambs um buffalo, buffalo bill right yeah because yeah. he was basically doing the skin suit thing it puts the lotion on the skin yeah and uh, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series was kind of based off the same thing. It was. Wearing the face. Mm-hmm. And lots of other stuff. Devil's Reject stuff partially was done. This and even uh, as, hell, as recently as uh, American Horror Story Asylum, Dr. Oliver Treadson, you know, was kind of like doing this skin thing. So a lot of stuff, you know, it's crazy that, I guess, I mean, heck, could you even make this kind of stuff up if it didn't I happen? I don't think you, you could, know? man. I mean... I mean, there's lots of wild stuff, and, but, man, it just blows my mind. I know. And Ed, you know, we've talked about it. He was, I don't know that he was that terrible of a guy or would have been had it not been for all this abuse and brainwashing and stuff. But, I mean, I guess a lot of them, if you look at it hard enough, you could figure out reasons why people do stuff. But, I mean, even 
stuff as far as back, even like when they had the slaughterhouse and stuff. And his mom and said never let him go in the slaughterhouse because she didn't want him to be around that kind of stuff. But then Ed walks in one day when he's 10 years old. When they were killing pigs? They were killing, slaughtering pigs. And they got one hung upside down in there. And she takes a big knife and slices it right down the middle and guts it and pours it all out into the into the bucket and stuff and basically covered in blood and she turns and sees him standing there but she don't say anything she just finishes what she's doing later asks what she think what he thinks about it and he don't really know how to describe it said he was feeling some some weird sensations down there and ended up he had ejaculated on himself yeah from watching this this butchering of his hog he was aroused from it yeah so i don't know maybe he's some you know some stuff going on but it was just a lot of bad stuff it's a it's a hell of a story it is but yeah but that is a story of ed gein man that is the, the plainfield butcher or the plainfield ghoul yeah as he was called by many Whew. yeah but we won't do this for a while and we want to do it right and give you as much of the details we can there's a lot of discrepancies in this man what you read it's and what all you over the place to. truthfully yeah yeah and a lot of it's probably legend but i'm sure they found a lot of stuff in that house we don't know about it could be a lot worse than what we do well some of this stuff you know took place over 100 years ago so i guess the reporting back then you know was sensationalized maybe and misreported who knows but right um that's yeah. ed gein man i mean body snatching and grave robbing and skin suits i mean it don't get a lot worse than that you know all right bud we're gonna get out of here man all right let's roll we want everyone to be safe please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings because the next episode could be about you This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.